0: So a little bit of cool backstory on Sarah is that I set up a bit of a charity boot camp at uh, Langdale Park earlier this year. And all proceeds went to the Alberta Cancer Foundation. And Sarah helped me out a lot. She collaborated with me and her friends and family donated a lot of money towards that fundraiser. We raised about $600. We had six attendees and we were looking at raising $20 per person so if you put together the math we had a lot of uh, silent donators and we had a lot of people that donated beyond what we asked of them to do and it was pretty cool and it takes a very special person to collaborate on an initiative like that so I was honored to have her on my podcast hope you enjoy Welcome to The Lifestyle Chase, Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at YegFitness.ca and on social media at YegFitness. So, welcome to episode 65 of the Lifestyle Chase. I am joined today by Sarah Lindquist. Did Thank I get you. that right? You
1: did get that right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, how are you doing today?
1: I'm really well. How are you?
0: I'm good. Good. You fed me coffee. That's always a bonus.
1: Always. You gotta get that coffee in the morning before your
0: day goes. Totally. So, I know you do a lot of spin classes, you ride at Cycle Bar a lot, but like, mm-hmm. what's what's like a typical morning for you?
1: So, a typical morning for me usually starts at Cycle Bar. Um, I used to teach yoga in the mornings quite a bit, but I was so busy with my schedule and really not just taking time for self-care for myself, so I took a step back from my morning classes and... Decided to dedicate that time for myself for spin or just some sort of self-care and that it just ended up happening to be spin So yeah, every weekday morning, I'm on the spin bike, which is really good And that just kind of is an outlet for me to work through whatever it was That's been going on in my day or my week or or what have you So um, yeah, that's how I start my day Come home, I usually have a coffee, go out with my dog who is at the dog park right now and then yeah i usually head out to my classes to teach if i have yoga classes or kinesiology clients i'll i'll see them and then i usually get some time off in the afternoon too to come back and take two out for again a little bit of a jaunt or whatever it is that i have to do get some work done and i'm teaching usually every week night evening as well so it's a it's a nice little balance of work play work play throughout my day
0: that's good balance yeah what's your favorite thing about being a dog owner your favorite five things? Oh God, my favorite <laughs> five things.
1: Uh, well, number one is definitely coming home. Like every time I come home, whether it's whether I've been away for five minutes or five hours, it's just the amount of love and excitement that Tuka has for me every time I come home, which is really, really amazing. Um, his uh, just seeing his love for like my family and my friends too—it's amazing. Like I don't have kids of my own, and so for my parents my my dog is their grand fur baby what they like to call it as so it's nice to see them interacting like my parents were never really we had dogs growing up but we always lived on a farm so it was, they were outside dogs a different dynamic um so it's really it's really funny watching my dad and my dog play because he might yeah anyways uh that's really cool um just being able to go on a lot of adventures with my dog like we're really outdoorsy we like to do a lot of hiking and when we when we can granted with my schedule. So um, just being able to share in on the activities and the fun and just seeing how much fun he has. Like we take him camping every single year and he loves being outside. So it's just, it's kind of neat. Like you find your, you kind of find your best friend in this Creature that you can't communicate or talk to verbally but yet they know exactly what you're what you're trying to communicate with them most of the time and it's just a really it's a really cool dynamic is thats that is that Those four
0: three things three two more. okay
1: two more um another really cool thing is Oh, when I'm like like when I'm sick, my dog can pick up on my energy. Or like if I'm having a really bad day, like he is so cognizant of the energy that I'm putting out, and he responds to that so well. Like if I'm sick and just kind of lying on the couch, not wanting to do much, he'll come over and lick my hand or smell me, and then just lay down beside me, just kind of showing that he's there, which is really really neat. So he's really like it's really supportive in a way to have a dog. And then the last thing. Uh, what else is really great about having a dog? Just, I suppose, the the experiences that I get to have with him too. Like since I've had a dog, like it really forces you to go outside and explore different parts of the city that you would never tend to maybe go out and explore. Like since I've gotten Tuca, Um, Like I've really really gotten to know the river valley system and Edmonton We are so lucky to have the trail system that we do and it's utilized by quite a few people But there's a large population that doesn't even realize the the trails and the the system that we have So it's a really cool way to kind of experience our city on a a little bit of a different level Kind of makes you dig down a little bit deeper for those those hidden gems.
0: So what inspired his name?
1: Tugarask (laughs) Oh, <laughs> the goalie from boston yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like that. I always i always we, i grew up in a really big hockey family and so always watching hockey growing up i remember seeing tuka rask and being like that'd make a really good name for a dog one day <laughs> so then i got a dog three and a half years ago and and that was his name as soon as i saw him i'm like tuka that's it
0: was there a light bulb moment to getting a dog Was is it just something that happened? You're like, okay, I need a dog now. Yeah.
1: So I always, like, we always grew up with dogs. Um, I grew up on, on farms and acreages, so we had outside dogs growing up. And so um, when we moved towns and moved into town, my, my dad and my brother are allergic, so we weren't allowed or we couldn't have indoor dogs anymore or dogs at all anymore. So... Um, I grew up the rest, uh, middle and high school without a dog and which was fine, went on to post-secondary. And then, um, once I finished university and kind of got settled into my own, I was like, you know, timing is good. Let's, let's do something. So yeah, I just ended up, um, rescuing a dog, rescuing Tuca from, um, just a farm outside of Beaumont. And, and I'm so happy that I did cause he's been like a saving grace to me ever since.
0: And he's so well-trained, too. (laughs) Thank you
1: for saying that. He, uh, it it was, it's a big, it was a long process and it's still a process that he has his, he has his days just like we all do. Um, but because we did rescue him from a farm, um, we didn't really know a lot about his past, didn't see his parents or anything. And he was really, really sick when we got him. So it took a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of patience and, and love just to kind of get him, get him healthy, first of all, and then also get him accustomed to other people, like, males he was very very wary of males so i don't really know what happened before that or before we got him to make him that anxious but um and he still has like he'll still be a little bit wary the first couple minutes he meets somebody but as soon as you show him that you're not a bad person you give him some treats or some love and he's he's your best friend so yeah, it's, uh, really, really lucky to have him.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So growing up in a rural community and moving to an urban community, you did that like midway through junior high? Yeah. Or? So I
1: didn't, so I lived, I grew up in a little town called Elk Point. That's about two hours east of Edmonton. And that's where both of my parents were born and raised and they met their high school sweethearts and everything. So, um, I had a lot of family that lived there. And, uh, when I was, Going into grade six, I believe, was when we moved. My dad got a job promotion or a job transfer that took us to Edson. So not necessarily an urban community, but okay. just a little less rural yeah. than than Elk Point. So um, Edson was where I grew up and went to middle school and high school, graduated there. And then after that, I went to Red Deer College for two years, started my degree and then finished up at the U of A.
0: Cool. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different like atmospheres or Mm -hmm. like communities which what did each one teach you we'll start with elk point then edson then red deer yeah
1: so elk point was kind of like that's like where kind of where my roots are right like my family is still there my parents actually since i uh since i was in university my dad got another job transfer that took him back to elk point so my parents have kind of gone full circle so that's where they are right now Um, So I consider that my home. That's where um, I have a lot of really, really fond memories with my family and a lot of my early childhood friends who I'm still friends with to this day. Um, So that living there, we lived in a farm and an acreage. Um, It taught me a lot about compassion and just how to care not only for others I have a younger brother but also for animals as well so learning the respect and the and the responsibility that comes along with all of that at a at a really young age I think I was really I was really fortunate to have that experience and then when um, we moved to Edson that was when started I was a little bit older starting to get a little bit more academic and more into sports and so um, it was different. It taught me living there to grow a backbone, and um, it taught me to re or it taught me that um, not everybody is going to be on your side, and so that you need to stick up for yourself and you need to be your own um, cheerleader. So, uh, Edson was a really good learning experience. I have a re- lot of really good friends um, that I still keep in touch with that not don't necessarily live there, but we all went to school together. Um, Yeah, so that was a really, it was a really cool experience growing up and living there. And then when I moved to university, um, I just kept, kept on growing.
0: Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. I found that like, so I grew up in a rural community and then I moved to Edmonton. It was like, oh man, like I learned so much different empathy being just surrounded by different scenarios, different people, more people, higher Mm -hmm. volume of people, and you just kind of you realize that uh, if if you're not in a culturally diverse like community, you mm-hmm. just you don't get it, and some things that you say are just completely garbage. Absolutely. Did you ever encounter that?
1: yeah so um in elk point like it's a very uh caucasian community very ukrainian I'm related product probably to half the town um so we didn't have a lot of diversity there and edson was very very similar we were very we weren't very diverse um everybody kind of knew everybody and so the language that i grew up with and you you don't know what you don't know at the time but the language that you're surrounded by there um, sometimes you think, Hmm, well, that's interesting that that person said that, or, Oh, I've never thought of saying that to some person. But then you, you move to a bigger, a bigger community such as Red Deer or Edmonton, and you are surrounded by that diversity and you realize really, really quickly how close-minded some people can be. And, and it may not be that that's because that that's how they want to be, but it just might be a lack of education. They just don't know what they, like I said, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and especially being in the, in the uh, profession that I'm in and being with so many populations and so many um, different types of people from different backgrounds, um, you have to be very, very cognizant of what you're saying and, and how you say it to people because people take things so, so differently these days that you have to be very, very um, conscientious of, of your words.
0: Well, and I even, like, nobody is the same. And sometimes we kind of have it framed that, uh, everybody should be a certain way. Everybody should fit a certain box, but like even two people that look identical aren't Mm going to fit the same box. And if you're drawing the line, like based on like preconceptions of what a person, like what person relates to and what doesn't, you're missing out on, on so much in life Mm -hmm. from like personal development, from like a community standpoint and stuff like that.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's it's interesting that you say that because a lot of the a lot of the people and that still are in these communities that I went to school with and graduated with that are still living there tend to be doing the same things. They're kind of stuck in those old habitual patterns and ways. And so when you go on and you grow and do a lot of work to change for for the better for yourself, sometimes people see that as being fake or or they don't understand because they're still stuck in that same old mindset. So um, it can be, it can be a little bit of, of a tricky thing to start to learn, to realize that sometimes you need to let that go and, and realize that what you're doing and changing for the better is, is growth and it's necessary for change for you if you want to, um, advance anyway, but it, it can be hard to let go of those, of those old people or those old habitual patterns or, or ways of thinking when that's what you're used to for so long.
0: Absolutely. What inspired you to go into kinesiology?
1: Um, <clears throat> well, I always knew that I wanted to do something with sport, like we grew up in a, in a very active family. My, my brother went on, he played hockey and went pretty far with it and I, uh, I was a dancer and played volleyball all throughout high school so I always knew I wanted to do something in regards to sport and actually my, my brother had a big part of, of why I wanted to go into kinesiology um as he was going through his um his hockey career he uh he's a goalie and he's very very talented um he ended up getting drafted um i think he was in the third round for i can't remember something in the bantam draft he was one of the highest goalies ever drafted by the prince george cougars and so it was a really big honor and he was really really young and uh so he got to go up and play and i got to see uh, him uh, as he was going through all of that and it was incredible he was do he was playing really really well but the team wasn't doing so well at the time and um because of that Brett started to develop some some negative mental habits and thinking patterns and just so seeing him him starting to go through all of this and as he was doing so um, he was recommended to go see a sports psychologist and then so seeing the change that that had on my brother and just how big of an impact that that had and the whole mindset of it was really kind of what pushed me to want to go and start to pursue that a little bit more. So um, when I went to Red Deer, I did my my first two years in um, health and fitness promotion in the kinesiology program. So I became a personal trainer and I really enjoyed that for a little while, but it, I knew it was that wasn't for me. Um, so then when I went over up to the U of A and transferred there, I started to specialize more in the sport and health psychology side of things. So I took a bunch of classes and courses and found that to be really, really interesting and um, so graduated in 2013 with my with my degree and um, took a took a year off. I was gonna, I was applying or planning on applying to go back for my masters, but in that time I had taken my yoga teacher training and then that's kind of where this all stemmed from. So, of course, the life changed a little bit, but I am so happy that I that I took my kinesiology and I have that because it has opened so many doors for me and, and just given me a really good foundational knowledge of, of the body and how movement works and why it's so important. And it's really, and that's what I apply quite a bit in my in my classes, whether that's yoga or bar or, or what have you.
0: What was your very first yoga class? Like, can you remember?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so back in, oh gosh, I would have been like... 14, 13, I can't, like 2005, um, we were in Edson, and there was uh, a yoga instructor that would come from Edmonton, and uh, there, we didn't have a yoga studio in the town at the time, and so my, this lady was doing it in the school gymnasium, which was in like this dirty old basement of the school, and so my mom and I went, I think it was like an eight or a 10-week thing, and uh, so that was my very first taste um, of yoga and I loved it. It was so, it, the movement came so naturally to me. Like I was 14, I was super bendy, I was a dancer, it just, it flowed. And so for me at that time, yoga was purely about the, the poses. I didn't, I didn't know anything else about it. I just thought, oh, if I can put my body in the shape, it's easy, I'm good at this, let's do it. Um, but after that course ended, um, she, didn't, she ended up not coming back, I don't, I don't know why. Um, But there was was no YouTube at the time. There was no Instagram or anything. There wasn't any way to to continue on. So I I would rent books from the library and practice in my room. And from that, I can almost guarantee that was why I developed so many negative, so many not negative but incorrect ways of of building up my practice, like these compensation patterns that I developed and just not I, I wasn't properly engaging my core. I was 14, I had no idea how to engage my core. Um so I was able to put myself in these positions, but in a very in a very unsustainable way. So when I finally got to university in my second semester of my first year. I took an Ashtanga yoga course as one of my electives and that was where I really started to learn about the other limbs of yoga and how it is so much more than just the shape of the posture and the way that we can move our bodies. Um, and so from there, that was also when I realized these these alignment issues that uh, that were going on within my body too. So, so I was practicing. Um, On and off from about 15 up until up until 18 or 19 But then that was it wasn't until I was in university when I really started to to dive into my yoga practice beyond the the postures
0: So in the last seven days name one thing that you are the most proud of
1: in the last seven days I am most proud of taking time for myself I um I finally had a weekend off from teaching, which is very very rare. Um, and so I said no to a few things that usually I would have said yes to because they were really fun and it would have been it would have been a great time. But it's just I've been so busy over the past couple months developing workshops and doing all of these things for others that when I find I have a chance to take time for myself, I, I take it. So I was really proud of myself. I, I taught bar on Friday night. I went to a yoga class for myself. I was a student. I went to a yoga class on Saturday morning. I went to a spin class on Saturday morning. I ate a delicious brunch. I took my dog out. Like I just, I did me. And that's not something that I get to do very often. So so I was really, really grateful to myself for, for taking that time because if I if I didn't consciously carve that time out I would have let it pass or I would have filled it up with work or or what else to be to be productive and I say that in quotations but um, being productive isn't always about producing work or or making something right sometimes it can sometimes being productive is is about taking time for yourself and and producing that that space for yourself to cultivate a sense of, of calm and inner well-being
0: I like that in the last 12 months What is a time when you felt the most Mm. (laughs) self-doubt?
1: Right before I got onto the plane for Central America in, uh, when did I leave? March? End of March. I, uh, so I have a terrible fear of flying and I am literally the biggest baby when it comes to flight. Like I (laughs) am. So I got dropped off at the airport and literally before I even walked into the airport, I thought, you know, I could just go to a hotel in Laduke and stay for a month and nobody would even know that I'm gone. (laughs) And I seriously considered that for about three minutes. I stood outside and then I was like, oh my God, no, Sarah, like you need to go in. But that, and so, but in those three minutes, I had more self-doubt about myself and more fear, I think, than I have had in in a really, really long time. And I know this fear of flying is totally irrational, um, but it's something that I can't, control and I've tried to like I, I do breathing exercises I try meditations I try all of these different things I've seen my doctor about it and but it's just it's just this fear that I have and so um thankfully the nicest WestJet lady came out and tapped me at the shoulder and and said honey are you, are you okay and she could see my face I'm like no I'm not so she walked me through everything I was hold- like literally holding my hand like this nice little grandma and uh, and so she was a really really big part of of me getting over it. And once I got on the plane, honestly, I was fine. It was a night flight. Like I passed out. I I woke up the next morning. I was in Costa Rica. Life was great. But in those in those three to five minutes of just kind of standing up there and thinking, oh my God, like I I don't think I can do this. I've never I had never traveled alone. I had never been on an airplane alone. And it was just the the fear of the unknown. So yeah, that for me probably would have been my biggest my biggest. Moment of self doubt over this last year.
0: So was it just Costa Rica that you went to, or
1: no? I um so I just actually flew in and out of Costa Rica. I was in Nicaragua for about a well three weeks, um, doing some volunteering down there. I was in San Juan del Sur, and I was at a surf camp slash hostel, and so I was teaching yoga there every day, as well as working with some of the kid local kids and youth that that are living there. Um, it was the really cool thing about this surf camp that I was at. Was that they do it's essentially like an after school program for some of the local kids that are in less than ideal situations, and so they come to the surf camp and we do activities with them and games. None of them speak, none of them speak English, and so we were teaching them English using flashcards and um, some things like values and words, and then um, I was starting to teach them a little bit of yoga as well so I started to develop a, a little bit of a yoga lesson that the teacher could continue on with the kids once I was done so that was that was really really cool um so I was in Costa Rica for about three weeks and then I had an opportunity to come back down to or Nicaragua sorry for three weeks and I had an opportunity to come back down to Costa Rica for the last uh I think 10 days of my trip so I did that and just headed out to the jungle and did some hiking and did a bunch of yoga and again just did me and it was it was amazing.
0: That sounds like an awesome trip. Yeah. What are the three most influential interactions you had over the span of that trip?
1: Three of the most influential interactions, Um, so one of the biggest ones was with one of the little girls that I was teaching or that I was working with that was part of the after school program and she didn't speak English Um, and she lived actually her mom, so her mom worked at the surf camp as a cook and they lived in just this little hut in the back behind the surf camp and one of the nights um, the mom had asked me to switch out. She asked me to come and switch out. They had a fan in one of the dorms that was broken so they were going to take that fan and put it into their house and bring the house fan in. And so the girl was trying to communicate. She was pulling on my shirt and was trying to get me to come. I had never seen where they lived before and I opened up the door and it was just like my jaw dropped. It was so incredible to see the space that this family of five Lives in, which is no bigger than my kitchen that we're sitting in right now. And it was just to see to see that and this girl. And so you and I could tell that she wanted, she didn't want to do what her mom was asking. She wanted to play. And so she showed, brought me over to where her part of the house was and showed me her toys, showed me her doll, and then she wanted me to sit down and play with her. So I did. And then after before we got up and left, she gave me the biggest hug. And I remember um almost letting go and she squeezed harder. And that just it melted me because obviously that girl needed needed the affection and needed the love. So after that, every day that I saw her, she would just come and give me these big, big hugs and say, Sada, Sada, and come and so that was that was probably the biggest thing. I'm not a I'm not huge on kids, but I I just I don't know, the love that she had, I thought I thought I was gonna bring a dog back home from Central America and I thought, oh maybe I'll bring this little girl back home with me instead. Um, So she was really, like I think about her a lot, she was just such a sweet, sweet little one. Um, Another really cool interaction I got to have when I was there was meeting one of the yoga instructors um, in Costa Rica, um, in La Fortuna, the town that I stayed in. She was a really, really interesting woman, um, born and raised in Costa Rica, moved to um, the United States to do some training. Her dad lived there, so she um, had a dual citizenship and so just um getting her perspective on life and living in costa rica versus living in the united states and just how her upbringing was and the values that she she brought throughout her classes and and taking her classes too it was just it was really i always find it really interesting to take other teachers classes and and kind of knowing a little bit about them and just seeing how that plays into how they theme their classes and how they style their their style of teaching and so um, I learned a lot from her, she came from a very compassionate, a very empathetic state, so it was really, it was really interesting, like her space was just filled with so much love and and kindness, and you could you could feel that as soon as you walked into the doors, it was just oozing with love, and so that was a space I spent I think almost every single day that I was in La Fortuna, I went to her studio and practiced with her because she was just so, so wonderful. And then the last, hmm, the last really cool experience I had was when I was in Nicaragua um, at the surf camp, there was a group of girls my first week that I was there, and we were all from different spaces. There was another girl from Canada, she was from Ottawa. two girls from the Netherlands, three girls from the Netherlands, sorry, two were traveling together and one was um, traveling solo, another girl from the UK, and all of us just clicked. Like we we all sat down at the at the table the first night and we were all just chatting and by the by the end of the night or the next morning it was like we had known each other for forever and so we still we still keep in touch to this day we all have this big WhatsApp conversation we'll send each other memes and pictures and talk shit about whoever and it's just it's really so it's really cool so it was really interesting you can be traveling alone and and not know what you're going to experience and yet make these amazing friendships that, that have the potential to last a lifetime. So, so I think those are probably three of the, the most influential experiences or yeah, that I yeah. had when I was there.
0: So when you think, or when you're talking about like things and people that click and, and like these moments where it's like, oh wow. Like we really connect.
1: Mm. What
0: is it that defines that for you?
1: I think just having just being in the same mindset having the same kinds of values and not necessarily coming from the same backgrounds because we're all different but but just having the the same yeah the same values like everybody that i was traveling with nobody cared about what you looked like nobody cares about the material side of things which i really really respect like we live here in north america in canada we live in a in a culture in a society where Everything is instant, everything is automatic, and it's all on our devices, whether that be our cell phones, or our laptops, or our tablets, or, or what have you. And it's so impersonal, but when you go down to, down to a country where the, the Wi-Fi is very limited, if there's anything at all, you're, you're forced to have those face-to-face interactions, which is so rare in our society these days. And so when you have those interactions with people and you get to know them and you get to see what they actually believe and you get to hear what their values are and it's just, you feel a sense of fulfillment way beyond the gratification that we get instantly from, from social media messaging or DMS or, yeah. or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, so I really value, I really value people who value my values and, and I value people who make me think in different ways. I really like seeing different sides of things because we all have our own perspectives, but those can be so limited based on our experiences and the way that we grew up and our beliefs that were instilled into us us and so when you meet people from different cultures and different societies and you get to hear their side of things you kind of think oh I haven't thought of it that way before oh that's an interesting perspective and then so I really I really appreciate people's honesty and authenticity in in showing me about those different perspectives
0: I like that Mm -hmm. so in the last decade what's been a moment that's challenged your core values the most
1: Mm. so when I was working my kinesiology job full-time it was um, it was an amazing position. I got an oper- I had the opportunity to um, work in people's homes. If they were in different facilities, such as like long-term care spaces or extended care hospitals, um, I got to go into those spaces and do physiotherapy with them. So. Um, it was a really, really rewarding job because it was populations that couldn't maybe necessarily get to physio clinics on their own. A lot of, a lot of limited range of motion. A lot of people with strokes or, or heart attacks, knee replacements, hip replacements, what have you. Um, and so I really loved the work. I, I loved my clients. I loved going in every day and and seeing the difference that you were making for people. And and it might not be it might not be those big gains that you see people lifting in the gym, but okay, this person can walk up their flight of stairs without being in pain that's amazing, how functional is that for them being able to live independently in their home for that much longer, like that's incredible. That's literally changing people's lives. And so I I really, really loved my my job but there was a lot of things behind the scenes that just weren't, that weren't clicking. There was a lot of Um, miscommunications and the values were changing as it started to franchise out I noticed the intention behind why we were doing what we were doing was shifting and it was turning towards that more financial aspect which is which is fine but that just doesn't resonate with me and so I was really really torn between do I stay in this position uh, that I that I love but yet I was coming home every day Miserable, and I was I was taking my work home with me, and I couldn't separate the two. And I was always on, and I was never saying no because I wanted to show up for everybody all the time. And I was so disconnected internally that I didn't I didn't know what to do. I felt really really lost, and so um, I had already taken my yoga teacher training by then, um, and I I had an opportunity to teach a little bit more. And so it was a really tricky thing deciding to make the switch from doing my kinesiology full time, a career that I thought I was going to do my entire life to transitioning to the unknown and who knows if this is gonna work out. Can you can you even teach yoga full time? I don't know. And so um, so I decided to make the shift and it was the scariest decision of my life. Like I I've always been one of those people that have done things by the books. I, I went into I went into university right away from post secondary. I never took any time off. I, I got a house. I got like I did all of the things right that that you think you're supposed to do by the books, but I wasn't happy and so is that, is that right? I don't know. Um, so I, I went with my gut, did what I, what I felt I needed to do and it wasn't easy. It was a lot of struggle, a lot of, of eye-opening um, experiences, a lot of cutting back from the luxuries that, that I no longer had because the financials weren't there anymore. I went from a job with really, really good money to almost nothing. But I had to build kind of up back from ground zero, and and I did. And now today, I am like, if you would have asked me four years ago if I could see myself where I am today, I would I would laugh. Like there is absolutely no way. I I didn't think that I could orchestrate my the reality of my life to be what it is. But looking back and and going through all of these experiences and and staying vulnerable and staying open to the possibility that there's always something more, um, really, it's paid off. And and now I'm in a position where I'm I'm comfortable and I'm happy and I I couldn't I couldn't imagine doing anything else with my life.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in like manifesting things?
1: Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. I um for the longest time I and I not how do I say this without sounding like a snotty kid? I I grew up in a very in a, I was very lucky to grow up in the family that I did I was very fortunate I wasn't handed everything that I wanted my parents were my parents gave us chores We still had to do every we still had to work for our allowances and do things but but we lived very comfortably and and we were given essentially not everything that we wanted but but what we wanted we we worked for and we got it and so um, and so from that and school came really easy to me too and so I like high school I should say came really easy so I didn't I didn't really have to work that hard when I was a kid I was kind of a natural athlete I was naturally gifted at school it was just things were easy I was lucky and then uh, when I went and got into university and that changed and bell curves started to appear and I was like oh shit I actually have to like apply myself here and do some stuff Um, that's when I was like okay the world doesn't owe me anything. The world doesn't revolve around me. If I if I want to get anywhere, I need to I need to put the work in and do the time. So um, and especially since I've switched over to this career path that I'm on now, um, being your own boss, like you you have to hustle. You have to create those opportunities for yourself. And if you're not doing the work and if you're not manifesting your intention or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, you're not going to get it and that's so you hear these people and it's like good things come to those who wait and it's no it doesn't it's fucking <laughs> stop bullshit waiting, no stop waiting. good things come to those who work for it right like yeah, yeah you might get lucky here and there once in a while but if you want to make something happen go and cultivate that shit on your own right like i just the it, it's hard work and it's uncomfortable and people don't want to put the work in but the people that do and take the time to grind it out those are the ones that see the benefits in in the long run. And it might not, it might not happen overnight, it might not happen in a week, a month, or even a year. But if you really, really want something, and if you decide to put the time in and, and put the work in and the effort and the energy, it all comes back tenfold eventually, whether that's a year from now or five years from now or ten years from now. It it all it all comes back. So I'm a big, big believer in, in manifestation
0: if you could like look into the future, maybe one year, maybe five years, like what are you trying to manifest for yourself in the future?
1: So it's been really interesting. Um, so being on the kind of more Western medicine side through my throughout my kinesiology, um, career and doing everything by the books and having a lot of research-based evidence, which is great. Um, I, I noticed that there's a big gap between Western medicine and then this whole kind of more holistic wellness side of things. And so um, a lot of uh, the clients that I would see in my physio or my kinesiology um, career, we would, uh, you would hear a lot of the doctors and a lot of physiotherapists recommending that these clients go to yoga or do yoga which is great but then I would be at my yoga studio and I would be about to teach a hot yoga class and you would see this guy limping in and he'd be like oh and he just had a knee replacement and he would say oh my my doctor told me to come to yoga your doctor told you to come to a hot yoga flow class I don't effing think so so it's I so where I see myself um hopefully is is starting to eventually bridge the gap between um, the between the Western medicine doctor side of things and and the teacher and the yoga teaching side of things, educating both doctors and and instructors so that doctors know what kind of yoga that they should be recommending, as well as educating instructors to know. Mm, this person should not be in my yoga flow class because a lot of other instructors that not maybe don't necessarily have the same background or education that I do that maybe don't know when to refer or when to recommend that a client go see somebody else out of safe just for safety reasons. Um, so starting to bridge the gap for that, I think is going to make the best um, care for that client because when everybody's on the same page, then that's when care is is the most optimal for for any patient. So I would eventually like to do that. I'm um, actually in the works of building and I'm going to be putting out with empowered yoga and applied physiology and pathology to yoga. So working with disease and disability, Um, so again, just kind of educating instructors a little bit more on how to work with different populations to, to make the practice more inclusive for everybody, because not everybody can make it to a yoga studio. Not everybody can do a flow class. Not everybody knows the modifications and, and instructors included in that too. Again, it all comes back to, you don't know what you don't know. And so if we can just educate people so that they can start to make those conscious decisions themselves, then I think that's going to reduce injury, increase health and wellness for, for students and practitioners. So I'd eventually like to, like to begin to bridge that gap um, in the next few years as well. I'm hopefully going to be starting to work towards my yoga therapy certification, but that's, a, that's quite a process in itself, so, so all in good time.
0: Do you know who Brandon Jacobs is? I
1: do know Brandon Jacobs. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Good. So what inspired um, your trip to Central America?
1: Um, So I was there last year actually, I was in Costa Rica and Nicaragua as well and it was just before the, um, so Nicaragua actually last year, last March, the end of March, um, went through a political crisis and so I was there two weeks before the crisis happened and before that. Nicaragua was literally the safest country in Central America to go to. English is quite a barrier there. Not everybody speaks it, but it's fine. You you do the best that you can and and everybody there is just they're so caring and so kind and so helpful. And it just it was an amazing amazing experience. I absolutely I loved it. And so after the the crisis happened, I, I was devastated. I couldn't I honestly I couldn't believe that that could happen. And so um, I and I wanted to give back in some way, so I donated some money online, and I tried to do that, but that doesn't it didn't do anything for me. I didn't know what else I could do, so I started looking around for organizations that were that were looking to to kind of give back. And so that's when I found this this surf camp that had the after school program with the kids. So um, yeah, so that was what fueled my my trip or my reasoning to go back. And and going back, it was it was amazing. Amazingly sad to see how much had changed in in the short time because of the crisis There is a big stigma now attached to the country that it's unsafe and, and that you shouldn't go there and That you should just go elsewhere, but but really the opposite couldn't be more true It is those people even though they went through what they went through things have things have calmed down now and things are Not necessarily back to normal, but but they've kind of found their their groove in all of this The people are still just as friendly they're still just as welcoming but it is it's heartbreaking to see how many restaurants and shops and things have closed down people have moved away and so it's they're they're slowly rebuilding but it's um it's going to take time but it also takes people like us to go there and to help out and to see that no this is a safe place to go and share that with others so that they can hopefully have that same experience and get these people kind of up back on their feet because they really rely on on tourism as one of their main their main um industries and without that they don't have anything and right now they don't really have a lot of tourism so a lot of these people are are in worse situations than they were before which is really really sad but
0: how did that trip shape the way that you run your business
1: So when I got back from that trip actually, well, before I left for the trip actually um, I was in a lot of different spaces around the city teaching. I was spread very very thin I'll admit that and I I thought I needed to be everywhere at once I I thought the more I could make myself available to as many people as possible the the better of a teacher I would be and um, When I was on my trip, it was very humbling to see these people and the amount of love that they have for just the small group that they that they're around with with what they have and so it really kind of made me realize that don't need to you don't need to be everything to everybody if you if you take a step back and dedicate your time and expend your energy in spaces that resonate with you and that means something to you because a lot of these spaces not a lot but some of the spaces I was teaching at I didn't resonate with it was just it was a paycheck it was it was easy and it was again it was my ego that I wanted to feed because I wanted to be popular and so um I took a step back when I came back from Central America from a few spaces, and really dedicated my time to the areas of my work that I wanted to that I wanted to, and where I wanted to make a difference. And and so since then, since I've decided to to really channel my energy to where it needed where it needs to go, it's made such a big difference in my career. And not only do I find that I'm getting I'm gaining even more opportunities, but I feel. So much more grounded and connected internally than before, whereas I was rushing from this space to this space and just not even in in a in a mindset. Essentially, I was just on autopilot. So it really, really kind of brought me back down to earth.
0: I like that. So you were a dancer when you were younger. What was the biggest challenge for that? To that,
1: uh, <laughs> there was a lot of. T- so when I was a dancer growing up, like I did uh, the ta- the small towns that I lived in, we were very restricted, like there was no tap or even hip hop or anything like that. I did Ukrainian dance and I did ballet. So um, there wasn't a lot of, of challenges with that. I guess my biggest challenge was. When I was getting, uh, or when I was going into middle school and started to go, or started playing volleyball, it was just making that decision. I I grew up, like I'm a very, I grew up in a very big Ukrainian family. And so it was very like a sentimental thing to us. And so my biggest challenge was, I was like, well, do I let go of this, of dance and I, I didn't know if I was disappointing my family. I know, I, I know now I wasn't, but at the time I thought, well, am I going to be disappointing my family if I quit dance to pursue volleyball? But I really like volleyball, um, or do I continue dancing where I'm starting to not really resonate there anymore and just kind of off this? So the yeah, the biggest challenge for me with my dance was just the decision to to kind of let that go in, and when I did, it was it was fine. Um, I still enjoy going to the the Shimko nutcracker every christmas but uh other than that yeah there wasn't i i haven't danced since i was about 14 or, or 15 so it, it's been some time but but yeah it was a, it was a really cool it was a really cool experience I, I learned a lot about myself throughout that whole that whole journey as well
0: well i found it's like it's a rocky road to navigate because so many people's like body image problems are rooted from that mm-hmm. and it's just it can be such a dark, dark world. Just like just about any sport or any anything can be.
1: Oh, a hundred percent.
0: Did you find that that sort of anything from that contributed to the way that you showed up in life in the mm, years since? I
1: don't know about. I don't know about if my dance had anything to do with that. But I remember specifically like. I had a lot of body image issues growing up, and, and still struggle with that even to this day. I still have it like self or self conscious about certain things, but um, I remember in grade eight, I was in swimming lessons. We were in swimming lessons in school, and. We were all in our... It was the first year that I, I was able to wear a bikini. My mom would let me wear a bikini to swimming lessons. and it was Or a tankini, I think it was. Those ones that come down. And uh, it was before... Well, I don't know. I, I wasn't a woman yet. Um, but I, I remember looking and looking around at the other girls. And I was... You, I tended... I, before I was... Um, I grew up, I, I was always one of those smaller kids. And uh, I remember looking around. And I kind of grabbed... I remember I grabbed a part of my stomach... And the gym teacher said, uh, you better enjoy this because this is the smallest that you're ever going to be. And I remember thinking like, but I'm already unhappy about like this. Like, what do you mean? This is you know, like, no, I can, I can let go of this. And so since grade eight, like ever since grade eight, I, I had the, this image or this idea in my head that I was big and I wasn't, I was maybe, maybe this 95 pound like kid. And, uh, but ever since then that stuck with me. And, and so I always thought, no, this is never, this isn't the smallest I can be. I can be smaller than this. And so I I had a lot of negative body image issues that stemmed around that and, and the schooling that I went through helped me through it, but it was also detrimental at times for that. So it was a struggle that I, that I battled with for, for quite a few years. And it's something that I still, that I still deal with to this day on a, on a much healthier level now. I'm, I'm aware of it, but we all still have our, our self self-conscious issues or insecurities from time to time but it's it's learning to become aware of those acknowledging those those insecurities and then and then just kind of letting them be or or letting them go
0: So it was a swim instructor that said that? It was
1: my gym teacher, gym teacher. My gym teacher, yeah. Uh
0: what how would you describe that gym teacher?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um nicely she she was uh how do I describe her? She, I don't, I don't want to say she was, she was brutally herself. She just, she, she told it like it was. I I don't think she was accurate in a lot of the things that she said because I don't know how you could say to any 13 or 14 year old kid, this is the smallest you're ever going to be. And the, and just in the tone in which she said it, I remember it vividly was very condescending. And I just remember because she like, and not to knock on anybody's size or image at all, but she wasn't a Barbie doll either. And so I just, oh, the comparison that came along with that. And so, and of course, that I'm assuming that had something to stem from some, an issue that she dealt with some, like maybe a long time ago. But just to project that onto onto these young teenage girls. And, and I remember myself thinking that and then thinking... What are these other girls thinking as well? And and I don't know. I, I never asked, but but I can guarantee I wasn't the only one that 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 carried along with.
0: Like what the fuck is going through <laughs> a person's head to say that when they're in that position of influence? Like what what do you think she thought of herself to be able to project that on other people?
1: I don't know. I don't know, but then at the at the time you have to think like this was what like 15 years like 10, 10 15 more than 10 like 15 years ago right so like the language that we used was a lot different especially in the health and wellness community like we didn't people that were larger we called them fat we just we didn't like and people that were skinny were called anorexic like we just we didn't use the correct language or terminology and and we just we didn't know what we didn't know and so and I don't know if it was just because of that small town that I lived in or or just the the lack of knowledge but it yeah that that I remember that stuck with me to this day
0: yeah that kind of shit pisses me off (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah but you know what it now going looking back and going and having gone through it like now i like now i don't want anybody else to ever have to go through that or if you ever hear a story like that like knowing how it made me feel and the influence it had on me and all of these habits that stemmed because of that one comment i feel empowered to hopefully instill change on other people that may be going through that or have had somebody say something to them and like the people that I work with, my, my private clients, my kinesiology clients, a lot of them are in sensitive situations, especially with their with the lack of mobility or, or whatever it may be. Um, so for me, what I try to do each and every day with my, with my clients, my students, is, is instilling a, a sense of empowerment to people and to work with what they have and learn to love their bodies for, for what they are and what they can do. Because our bodies are so much stronger and so much more capable than, than what we give ourselves credit for. But a lot of times we we don't think that we can. We, we we tell ourselves that we can't. We have these these fears or these expectations that have been that have been built up by ourselves or or by what other people have said to us. That, that we're afraid of, of, of maybe falling or, or looking bad or looking a certain way that, that we avoid doing the things that make us happy or, or doing things that will cause a change for, for the better. So what I try to do is is I try to hold space for people where they can explore their comfort zone as well as starting to take a step outside of that so that they can prove to themselves that, yes, they actually can and, and hopefully from there, they can start to realize the strength that they have and and start to cultivate that that on a deeper level.
0: And that kind of stuff is so much easier said than done. Oh, 100%. So like so many people, and especially in the fitness industry and in the wellness space, they they have a lot of like looming self-doubt. They have negative self-talk, but like leaders in the industry, people running their business, like people who are like millionaires whether it be a fitness business or non-fitness business have this self-doubt these demons or monkeys on their back and they might not show it but like I've talked to enough different people that like I can attest to the fact that everybody's battling it oh yeah so what kind of tools should be in their toolbox to uh keep themselves solid
1: I think the biggest thing, and so something that I, um, I've been doing a lot, I'm actually right now starting to build, um, I'll be facilitating some mindfulness workshops with Embridge later on this month for their control center operators and some of their staff, which is really, really great because they're in high stress situations all the time. Their brains are always, always working and they're almost always in that fight or flight state. And so um, my biggest thing that I can recommend to people is to just start paying attention paying attention to your body, and, and when it's holding stress. We go through so much of our day in this go-go-go in this, um, state that we don't even realize when our shoulders are clenched or, or our jaw is tight, that just the simple act of relaxing our jaw or dropping your tongue away from the roof of your mouth, dropping your shoulders down, can help release a lot of that unconscious or subconscious stress. So when we start to consciously pay attention and it's a chore just like just like when you uh, work out to strengthen a muscle you have to you by paying attention you have to pay attention to your mind and in order for yourself to grow and build mindfulness you have to pay attention so when we start to pay attention that's when we can notice. Okay, here I'm I'm tight physically, or I'm clenching my jaw, or or maybe I'm noticing that I'm really agitated right now. Why is that? And a lot of times when we can pause and when we consciously take a step back and and take a breath, our breath might not help us to solve our problems, but it can help us to think a little bit more clearly rather than just kind of letting that that word vomit vomit come out. So what I like to do is, yeah, I just like to really try to encourage people to stop and take a step back, take a breath. Notice what you're feeling, acknowledge it, and and you might not need to accept it, but but just knowing where you are in the present moment, not not worrying about where you were five minutes ago or where you're going to be an hour from now. Um, that can really help us to, to stay aware and to hopefully start to develop a little bit of, of mental clarity so that we can move through these uncomfortable situations.
0: So I feel like you must have used a mantra at some point in your life, am I right? Mm-hmm. So what would be your most bulletproof mantra? Something that you could use, but also somebody else would be able to use that would make them feel unstoppable in their moment of weakness.
1: Um, <clears throat> so the mantra that I used actually when I was going down to Central America on the plane, because I was by myself, uh, was I am brave. And so I, because I for one do not think I'm a brave person at all. Um, I kept repeating that to myself over and over and over and anytime I would start to not feel brave or start to feel scared I would take out my travel journal and I would just write I am brave so I I literally probably have I could go upstairs and grab it like 30 pages of just I am brave I am brave all down the pages and it's funny like people say you repeat that to yourself until it clicks and I have I've repeated mantra and I've repeated that to myself before but but it wasn't until I don't know I just something something must have clicked and and this eventually I started to believe it. And I was like, "You know what? I am brave. I'm stronger than my fear and and yeah, I'm I'm in an airplane and I I'm not in control of the situation and if we go down, we go down, but I am brave." And uh, from that, I was able to develop a sense of calm and, and a sense of ease that that I didn't necessarily have before. So I think that is, that's one mantra that, that I like to use when I'm feeling, when I'm feeling uneasy, but I think a big one that, that everybody can use, especially when you're feeling weak is, is just this most simplest mantra that we can use. I am enough because a lot of times we, we have these unrealistic expectations placed upon us and, and we're always trying to multitask and we're always trying to do that, that we forget how, how important it is to take a step back and and just exist. So when we, when we remind ourselves that we are enough as, as we are exactly as we are, I think that can be really, really powerful.
0: Yeah. I I like that, but I'm going to challenge you to dive a bit deeper into what is like, what defines enough? Cause I see it in so many different spaces. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, enough, enough, like, uh, am I, uh, Am I doing everything that I could by saying I I am enough or is there something that I could believe in myself more to be like the true definition of enough? Mm -hmm. Like dive deeper into what that is.
1: So I think it's, I think that's really, really personal for, or very individualized for everybody. Like what, what is your definition of enough for, for me, my feeling of enough is, is just learning to be okay with where I am whether whether I maybe that's not maybe it's a good space maybe I've had a really really good day and okay this is enough I don't I don't need to do anything more because I've already done all of this I'm I'm happy where I am but also sometimes being enough is is not having a good day and and realizing it's okay not to have a good day. You don't need to do any more work to try and have a good day. You don't need to be productive. You don't need to always be grinding. Sometimes taking a step back and and resting and this this concept of recovery, it's equally as important as as the grind that we that we put ourselves through. To have too much of one without the other causes an imbalance. And so I think I think learning to have a good balance between rest and and the hustle and and just learning to Accept where you are in any moment, whether, whether you're in a positive mindset or maybe not so positive of a mindset to me, that's enough. And it's, it's not feeling the need to do any more than, than what you've already done.
0: I like that. And to broaden that point, I'll offer my perspective mm-hmm. of enough. So for me, I, I just, I like to always strive for something more. Mm-hmm. But the parameters of that are what I would say is enough. So to like clarify there, if I am not, if I am like trying to meet other people's expectations, then that is further from what is enough for me. Mm-hmm. Like I'd much prefer to meet my expectations for myself, like meet meet my vision for myself and see that as being enough. Because mm-hmm. sometimes like, some people are in the pursuit of wealth over integrity Mm -hmm. and some people are in the pursuit of integrity over wealth. And I honestly believe that no matter how slow going, it looks like integrity first people first is just the better route to go. Mm -hmm. So for me, like I, I might live on the edge as a trainer. Like I charge session by session instead of charging for like six month, one year packages. Mm and that's scary and a lot of people shake their head at me but that is what enough looks like to me because i hold on to something that is most dear to me which is my integrity i want to i want to hold on to that like my most prized possession mm-hmm. and some people might think uh like cuz i spend a lot of time with people but like for a very specific reason because i think it's good for my wellness i think mm-hmm. it's good to like build on that because I think that social media and our connectedness through our devices is taking away from like that like personal growth and that like wellness that we get from interacting with people like I believe energy Absolutely. is a thing and I think so many people are getting further and further away from that mm-hmm. and they they might see me as not pursuing something monetary but instead pursuing just people and connections then they might not they might think that's not enough but i think that me on the pursuit of people Mm
1: -hmm. is enough yeah and it all comes down i think to kind of that intrinsic intrinsic and extrinsic motivation right like what drives you and what motivates you to do what you do like what is what's your intention when you ask people what their intention is a lot of times people can't give you an answer and it's like well then why, why are you doing what you're doing like what what is it what drives you and if you can't answer that then maybe you need to rethink what it is that you're doing and so and so if you can answer that if if you maybe you are financially motivated maybe there's something that you're really working towards by all means give it like go if that's your answer if that's your why then give her but if you're motivated by those intrinsic factors whether that be connection through through conversation or or what have you To me, personally, that is more fulfilling than any number my bank account could ever say. So, um, it just, it all comes down to what what motivates and what drives you as an individual. Where do you want to go?
0: Totally. Mm -hmm. Who are three people that you look up to in the world?
1: Number one would be my dad. I really look up to my dad. He is, hands down, the hardest working, um, kindest, most empathetic selfless man I've ever met he is absolutely incredible like I I'm my father's daughter and I think I am lucky that I have grown up to be like him in so many ways and so I could not thank him more for the upbringing that I had. And and my mom as well, like I know it's really, really kind of cliche and yeah, it's kind of those run of the mill answers, but you know what, like, and my mom, like my parents, they just celebrated their 30th wedding anniversary this year. We just had a big surprise party for them a couple of weeks ago, which was fantastic. Um, but just the, the dynamic that I grew up in, um, in my home life as a, as a kid and, and my mom, and just seeing how, like my dad is this very, very scheduled, very regimented, very organized guy. And my mom is just this free spirit and laid back and very outgoing. And so they're just a really good balance of each other. So I got, I, I think I have a lot of my qualities and my, I know I've gained a lot of my values from both of my parents. And so they're just, they're really, really, they were really, really big influence, influencers in my life. And then Um, somebody else that I really, really look up to and, um, I really admire her, her work is Brene Brown. Her, her writing about vulnerability and her talks about courage and showing up is just, for me, I think when I, when I found her, it was what I needed to hear at the time. I, I always thought being vulnerable was associated with weakness and and the, it couldn't be further from the truth. And so when I, when I read her books and, and saw her perspective and, and learned that it's okay not to be okay, it's okay to show up and it's okay to make mistakes. I I really grew and I I think I I changed a lot for the better because of her so I really look up to her I always follow along with what she has going on and so I think yeah for me right now those are three of the, the biggest influential people.
0: That's awesome. I like that answer. And everybody always says cliche to like <laughs> shout out their parents, but like, that's important.
1: Well, it is. And like, and I, and I'm very lucky, like not everybody has a great relationship with their parents or, or maybe their parents weren't around. And so I'm, I'm very fortunate to to have my parents still, still very close to me and still so in love with each other as they are. Like I, yeah, it's just, it, it, it was a great dynamic that I got to grow up in. And, and so they, I wouldn't be who I am today without if it wasn't for them.
0: Yeah, like the question like this, there's honestly no wrong answer. Yeah, I think some people go into it like, Oh, well, I gotta think hard on oh, this, like, yeah. I really gotta overthink <laughs> this because there's a wrong answer. Yeah. So, no, you no. could honestly, if somebody values Cookie Monster <laughs> and they can like describe why, Give
1: her, right? then
0: I'm gonna think that's really cool. Yeah, and it's going on the podcast, yeah. and like, that's how I'm gonna know <laughs> more about them, but like. I I hope that... Well, I don't know. Maybe somebody really does value Cookie Monster. Maybe. Maybe. When I was a baby, my first word was cookie. Oh, really? And I'm pretty sure my second (laughs) word was monster. But like, that could have been the heavy influence of Sesame Street books and stuff
1: like that. (laughs) Gotta love the 90s, hey?
0: Absolutely. So, the last question that I have for you, which I ask all of my guests, and you said you're prepared for this one, (laughs) so... Here goes nothing, if you had one piece of advice on how to live your life authentically to the fullest, what would that piece of advice be?
1: My piece of advice to live your life to the fullest would be to learn to say no and to learn to love yourself in a way that you would a loved one, a family member, your spouse, your child, your dog, whatever we get so negative on ourselves and our inner critic tends to take over that we that we get so caught up in this negative mindset and from there these patterns and these habitual ways just stem and we find ourselves in this downward spiral but but when we stop and take a step back and and start to pay attention and learn to to speak to ourselves in the same way that we would a loved one then from there our whole world begins to shift and and our mindset begins to change as we open up and so and part of that though is is learning to say no and setting healthy boundaries so that so that you can give yourself the space to to grow so yeah so Say no, do you, and and live your life for yourself. Because if you're not living your life for yourself, then, then who are you living it for?
0: Yep, I agree. That's a good one. So, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so
1: much for having me, Chris. It was a pleasure.
0: It was awesome. See you around. Thanks for listening. As always, I'm always going to remind you to check out episodes of people both locally and not local that you know and that you don't know. Because honestly, it can be a famous person, it can be a not famous person, it can be a person you've heard of, it can be a person you didn't hear of. You're going to learn something new. It's really important to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes, learn from other people's life experiences, and honestly, I can speak on my biased opinion that there are a lot of people that are quite cool, that have been on the podcast, and I'd love it if you wanted to learn more about them as much as I do. So thank you for supporting me and looking forward to bringing you the next episode.